My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Hey there, and happy Friday. Uh, Back again with a bonus episode of Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Jason Woodbury, and today on the show, I'm joined by David Bazan of Pedro the Lion. Uh, I have been uh, bugging him about his records for a very long time and have been listening to them for even longer. Uh, We talked in 2019 about a record he released under the Pedro banner called Phoenix, which was sort of like a, a comeback record for the Pedro the Lion project, and it documented his youth in Phoenix, Arizona. Havasu, his new record, which was surprise released this week by Polyvinyl Records, continues uh, the the storyline there. It's almost a direct sequel, and it documents his early years in Lake Havasu, Arizona. Um, it's a really great record, and I've really, really enjoyed getting a chance to dig in with him about this intensely personal stuff. Uh, Pedro's music has just meant so much to me over the years. It's always really a pleasure to get a chance to sit down with Dave and talk. Uh, in this case, we, we, we talk about the record and we talk about the sort of, uh, the sort of constant themes of, of faith and doubt and all that stuff that runs through his work. And then we settled uh, on a, a, nice, a nice conversation about Tom Petty who I've been listening to Wildflowers ever since having this talk, the box set that came out last year or the year before, who remembers anymore? Anyway, I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you're new to Transmissions, uh, welcome on board. We do new episodes every week. Just put one up earlier this week, an interview with Haley Four, who records as Circa Desu, and you can check the back catalog for all sorts of conversations with people like Jason Manzukis and Lowe and Tim Heidecker. Uh, there's so much for you to check out in the back catalog, and I hope you do. Uh, if you dig what we're doing, you can check us out over on Patreon as well. Aquarium Drunkard is on Patreon, and we're uh, powered by folks who are uh, kind enough to drop a couple bucks our way and help keep an independent music outlet going. Uh, so without further ado, we'll get right into it. Here's my conversation with David Bazan. Big thanks to Andrew Horton for going over the audio on this one. Uh, we hope you guys enjoy this and have a great weekend. We'll be back next Wednesday with an all-new conversation with occult historian Mitch Horowitz. I hope you'll tune in to that. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here, David. Thanks so much for connecting with me on Transmissions. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. How how have you how how was your this is gonna air no one knows this, but but you're about to release a record. Um yep. and when they hear this, you will have released said record. Um yep. is this is this the first time you've ever done a uh, like a surprise? release yes absolutely uh yeah it's always months of teasing and all of that and um 
so far I really like this way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. Has the record has the record been done a long time? Since May um or April or May, I think May. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. First of May. So so May of of 2021. Um Yep, right. Does that mean you were working on this a lot during during lockdown? Was this a lockdown project to some degree? Um it was um but right or oh, I'm trying to remember when maybe May 2020 or the summertime I put it on hold for a while um because I was running into some roadblocks with the 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 lyric writing process especially that caused me to realize I had some like deeper work to do personally and uh so I kind of put it on the shelf for a little while i worked on it in a way throughout that time um but not intensively um and then i kind of worked through some of that uh those things that issues i was dealing with and then i was able to come back to it Um, yeah i think when we talked so you resurrected pedro the lion with with the last record phoenix Mm -hmm. which we talked about a few years ago in phoenix um that's right and then right before, and then right before the pandemic, I saw you at at Innings Fest. The uh, right. it was one of the. I think it was the last show. I remember being at that festival and and asking myself, "Is this okay to be here?" Like I, think I know, we, me too. We, we we might be in trouble. This might not be all right. <clears throat> um, you know, but like that feeling of like before the pandemic, you would have that feeling every now and then and you would just be like, well, we'll just hope for the best or whatever. But yeah, no, that proved to be a, a pretty telling yes. feeling because right after things completely shut down. But it seemed like you and the band were just having a really good time playing despite the oh, fact. That's great. Um, I was already kind of. Yeah, I, I, I was already kind of dealing with some being in Phoenix and just everything like it was it was interesting for me and but we had just come off of uh, like 3 months of touring that earlier that year and yeah we're in decent um shape um as a group and uh but yeah i i did enjoy that show and then on the plane ride home from that is when we basically got the news that washington was uh all but shutting down and we were kind of looking at each other, Eric and I were sitting next to each other on the plane and just like, do you think it's going to be like, I think it's going to be, you know, yeah. and we were both like, yeah, I think this is going to be a bad one, you know? And yeah, it was so wild how that worked. It was great to interact with you just a tiny bit. I don't remember if we talked in person or just texted after I think it was. I. I think it was just the latter. Yeah, we just I you know, I know that those festivals are always so nuts, right? And I was working and you were working. So I think it was just sort of like a you know, two yeah. ships in the night thing, but I but I did yeah. make it over and 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 caught the set and it was great. You know, I've been seeing you now for a long time. It's kind of bizarre to think about. Um I always have this thing when I when I speak with you about your music, which has meant an awful lot to me on a personal level, you know, um, of realizing, you know, like, oh man, I think I've been listening to Pedro the Lion records for like 20 years, you know, which, oh, is, man. A, 
which is a big thing to think about. And th- But then this time preparing for this talk, I realized, oh my God, I think Dave has been dealing with my questions about Page of the Lion records for like <laughs> f- 15 years, you know, which yeah. is like its own milestone. And recognizing that was kind of like, whoa, where did the time go? But, um, but you know, you always seem like you're having such a good time with the physical act of making music, you know, really actually performing and and yeah. putting your whole body into it. And, and so much of Havasu hinges on that. You know, that's sort of one yeah. of the one of the that's the sort of salvation in this record, which I guess for listeners, I guess you could sort of talk about what the concept of Havasu actually is. Mm-hmm. Cause it's it's cause it kind of follows Phoenix in terms of 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 this is it's, you know pretty personal autobiographical stuff again. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Havasu is basically, um, a, a second record in, in a series, um, Phoenix being the first and the series was inspired by just being in Phoenix. And every time I was there for years, just feeling like there's a ghost around every third intersection that just, I, it just felt like a haunted place, like the most mundane little visual uh, uh, stimuli would, would just trigger this flood of like um, uh, uh, memories of, you know, just the range of everything, joy and, and um, shame and, uh, and longing and, and just mystery. And I just thought what, like, on the one hand, I don't know. Yeah, I just felt like, what is this, and how do I stop it? <laughs> like, how do yeah. I, um, or how do I interact with it in a way that it doesn't kind of throw me for a loop every single time? And and I, my, I, what I think is my subconscious kind of spoke up and was like, well, have you ever like written about these things? And I was thinking like in in a journal kind of writing, um, and I was like, no. And I thought, oh, I should do a project like a like a like a, a journaling project or like a, I wasn't thinking music. Um, and then I realized, yeah. Oh, but you, you make records. That's how like you could try something if, that you've never done. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, maybe use the tool that or the process that you've been developing all this time. And so it pretty quickly, it became a record and then, oh, maybe that's more than one record. And then pretty soon I was working on a series that Havasu is the second one of. Um, and the first two here are, they definitely stick to autobiography pretty close. And the rest of them will have elements of that in it, but might veer off into sure. fanfic. <laughs> in, internal fanfic yeah rewrite exactly. you, you can start you've you, you've you've documented enough now you can start rewriting what happened mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great well well Havasu's a, it's such a cool record and that thing I mentioned about the exuberance of the playing like there yeah that's really a big one on this like there are some moments oh, where great. You, you know the song first drum set which you know is sort of the one that that I that I I've zoomed in on in terms of like my my understanding of the record and sort of where things go for me is is just that sense of like in the song you're you're discussing really your relationship with playing music and how it started in a more sort of formalized setting with you playing clarinet and then that 
you know, gave gave way to a, a drum. You wanted to play saxophone, didn't have did. the right, didn't right have the right embouchure for for uh, for sax, <laughs> which which I, I I related to on a personal level because I also played clarinet all through middle school into junior yeah. high into high school, and I was told you don't have the lips to do anything else, you know. So so I was yeah. like, oh, all right. But I, I kind of stuck with it. You moved over to the drum set, and and mm-hmm. and that part where you describe what happened when you got on the kit, and and when or you know rather when you heard somebody else on the kit and they did this fill, and just, mm-hmm. I don't know, the joyfulness that you describe in that song is something that I think takes the heavier, heavier elements of, of yeah which have always been present in Pedro's music and and in your solo albums. You know, you've never been a dude who's like afraid to get pretty uh deep or pretty heavy, you know? Yeah. And in that song, it's just like there's this this there's a lightness to what happens musically and and yeah. it seems like that was really a pretty crucial moment in terms of recording this record you know when you when you realize that like cuz was was so the idea was was not originally to make quite as like rocking a record right you kind of wanted it to be a little bit more subdued yeah like um well my sort of style sheet for it was that i you know in my mind i'm making these two kind of desert records which obviously there's a whole tradition of this especially down south there um and uh the um and phoenix for me was a particular kind of desert record that i i I, basically i had the the desire to make records that sound and felt like the places to me Mm -hmm. um and and with the phoenix record there's sort of like um like a blockiness to the arrangements, like a, like a squareness to them all that, um, you know, you're in the desert there in Phoenix, but you're in a, in a metropolitan city that is a grid for 50 miles in either direction or whatever. And, um, yeah, that's right. And so, but, and so there's like a feeling of that and it's like a suburban place, like this massive, like suburbia, and then like Havasu is this desolate desert. Like it's a different, it's, I think it's actually, is it the, the Mojave, which is not the same as Phoenix is in, or is it kind of border? No, you're, yeah, you're right. Um, so I just wanted to make a, 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 a more desolate kind of empty, lonely uh, desert record in Havasu. And so I, I thought that I was gonna, well, I, I just had a heck of a time. I had, I mean, I was in multiple cascading crises in my life and was having, I'd started making Havasu on synthesizers and arranging the music that way. And I was just having such a tough time really tuning in the the specific sound. Like I was working with parts and, and sort of starting sounds, but with synths and samplers and things, you just have endless possibilities and and I was having a hard time developing a criteria to to whittle it down so when I put the record on the shelf I also put away all those tools and I got out an acoustic guitar and that was just like I'm not working on the record I'm just gonna do 
like my routine and my life and in my leisure time I'm going to sit and try to arrange those synth parts on the guitar like fine guitar arrangements for those two-handed synth parts basically and by the end yeah. of that process I thought I was really freaked out to to be in a band again I had had kind of a really rough um go in certain ways and so I was even trying to think of like how do I make a record that doesn't require a band and so I went into the studio with like having woodshed all of the songs on a guitar um, with all those guitar parts just like under my hands and ready to go and we started tracking just like acoustic guitar and it just was kind of dumb it or it didn't it wasn't right it didn't feel right and so I switched over to electric and I played all those parts in on electric and then we just started adding bass and drums to things and the and of course that's a vocabulary that I've been messing with with my own songs for a really long time and so first passes on a lot of things just like you know the first time I ever played drums on making the most of it was that take you know mm, yeah and it and we ended up keeping like a lot of that kind of thing just and th there's an exuberance in and some of that too because I'm really like yeah so it until I got in the studio I didn't know there was going to be drum set on it um and it, the only, the trickiest one for that was first drum set because it's like having a song called first drum set but there's not going to be any drums on the record like how are we going to yeah honor that or you know and I just was so lost just in general <laughs> at that point that I just was sort of, I I knew that I had to woodshed the, I needed to show up to the studio like ready to do something. And I was, but I, I was in terms of like a bigger vision, like I just was tapped. Like I, I just was struggling to make sense of anything. And so in a way, once I got in there, my body kind of chose how it would go once we, got drum mics up and I sat down for the first time and we were both me and Andy Park the producer was just we're like yeah this is weird and great and unexpected although it's also totally expected it's drums bass and guitar on a Pedro record so <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean it's 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 not like the template is is is, is vastly different you know from the work that it's you've not. done in the past but it doesn't feel they you know the first the first sort of return to Pedro record also felt both familiar in certain zones and in certain ways, you know, but also, you know, each one kind of like y you listen to the, all the, all the Pedro records and none of them adhere to exactly the same thing. You know what I mean? Sure. There's like, there's always yeah. these different sort of like, there's these different, uh, maybe you could say like, um, accents in different areas you know mm -hmm. on all on all the records that ends up making them sound like you know you go from control to achilles heel and those two records don't sound there i mean the, there's there's similarities the, there's threads but there's yeah. some big differences it does it feels like a very different vibe and which is a a tricky word the reason i like vibe so much as a word is because oh, it, I, I dig it yeah yeah the reason i like it is because of how you know it can mean whatever you need it to mean in a sentence, that's a pretty handy word, but also it's a specific thing. You know, there is a different yeah. vibe on those records yeah. and there's a different vibe on Havasu than there is on, on Phoenix. Um, mm -hmm. for, for sure. Um, I wonder, you know, 
the synth does end up coming back into the mix in a pretty cool way. Uh, so you so you did find yourself returning to that tool. Um, what was it about? You know, the what's what are the sort of years that you're documenting in in this? I mean, you would have been 12, 13. Are we talking like the late eighties? Mm hmm. Eighty eight, eighty nine uh, school year. Is there for you a connection between the synthesizer and what you undoubtedly would have been hearing on the radio and, you know, sort of like maybe listening to yourself at that age? Um, a little bit. Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't yet, um, like allowed to listen to just like the regular radio. So the, um, but I was hearing synths, like um, I heard Human League in somebody's car and was like, I think I was, you know, like, I think at school it was like Guns N' Roses and Funky Cole Medina or something that were like the things wafting around or like maybe um, Def Leppard, uh, Hysteria, was that pour some sugar on me record yeah um which, which came I out think. the year before i think um but uh for me you know so my dad was the music pastor at all the churches that we attended because that's what his job was and where, where where we would go and um in phoenix uh i went with him to this music store down there and he had uh was buying a dx7 for the church which has, um, you know, is a FM synthesizer, and it was like a revolutionary tool at the time. Um, and um, amongst all the the very complex things that it can do, it has some very classic electric piano sounds that are good for R and B and church music and like some other things. And so, and at the time, like. If you were watching late night, you'd see a, if anybody playing a piano would have like a DX7 sitting on top of like the baby grand or whatever. And there was like this and like I, I had learned Axel F uh, on piano for like a piano recital uh, uh, the year before and like played it on the DX7, um, you know. And so there, like it, that was in the air for me. Um, and then there just was also... Yeah, like, um, like, it, it wasn't just since it was also like softness, like Three Men and a Baby was like a really huge movie for me. And like, there was this sort of, like, Own Valentine especially kind of has this feeling of like a romantic comedy kind of yeah. uh, chord progression or like... Um, Something and so that's all mixed in with um, why synthesizer I think didn't wind up being the right tool to base the record on it has to do with the the setting of the place where like like instruments with strings and the expressiveness of that feels like it's more yeah. for that space. But there's a lot of the softness of like the chord shapes and things that I'm using on parts of this record that um, come from me writing on synth but also there was just a, this feeling of like this this like really sappy romantic kid that that I was that just liked all this kind of like sappy stuff and so I was trying to like honor that um 
And so there's like a cheesy, what felt like cheesiness happening that I was just sort of embracing, like even first drum set or, you know, stranger or, um, you know, these things that, yeah. And, and it, and it did have to do with synth, um, in a way, but where synth allowed me to sort of find some of these other softer voicings and then yeah. applying them to guitar, I wouldn't have ever found them on the guitar that way. Cause Right. They require alternate tunings and things to, to, to replicate what I had done. That's great. That's great. That's really, in, it's interesting. I love the, you know, there's a sense on these records, especially as you're, you're doing these like personal autobiographical excavations of your own self. So mm-hmm, was, mm-hmm. was that sort of like, uh, that, embracing that softness and that sort of romantic side of, of yourself as a, as a kid, you know, sort of pre pre puberty, although this record Mm -hmm. documents the change, you know, uh, (laughs) on that front as well. Um, the, the, the metaphor of a sequencer, you know, uh, is, is such a, such a, it's such a beautiful one, you know? Oh, cool. Yeah. Nature is a giant sequencer. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. Like there's, there's, you don't have, to actually, you know, uh, will anything into existence. It just starts happening <laughs> for you, you know, at that age, you know. But was that sort of like rec- recognition recognition of yourself as a um as a kind of a soft kid, kind of a kind of a open hearted kid, you know, was that something that you had really reckoned with much before this? Was it had you thought about that, you know? Like what kind of kid was I, you know, in that re- in that regard? I mean I I knew that I was um, like a sensitive kid, um, yeah. but I think for me the 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 real trick on this record was looking back at how much I was masking of my experience and mm-hmm. start because because it's a question that it was a part of what I needed to deal with now. Like, why do you mask the the pain that you're in or the um, the um the bad situations that you're in um and how long have you been doing it you know and i can trace back like i was trying to so i'm picturing like you know the drive from phoenix to lake havasu and there was various trips but just just thinking like what was that kid feeling and what was showing and what's sort of like the gap between that um because I think with my sensitivity, like the you know in the eighties, like the world was not encouraging your sensitivity. <laughs> it was saying conform to the way that it is, and as like a yeah, just a hypersensitive HD ADHD kid, I I learned to smash down what what I was actually feeling and just try to get on board with what I sort of should be feeling. Um, sure. And so this record was a lot of me for the first time kind of facing some of that and admitting just how much I had been masking and for how long. Um, and I didn't like I was doing that on in, in all of the years, you know, that Phoenix was covering and even before. Um, sure. But it was at this point when it became it was on. The, the, this year that I'm documenting or, or referencing at least on this record is the year that it became permanent is the mm-hmm. year that that masking was just like, there's no going back. Like 
you have to, you know, like work through these things in some way. And they just kept piling up. And it was sort of, that was, I I just remember a feeling of like when I left there feeling like, well, the, the mask is permanent and I'm just hoping that I can land somewhere, be there for long enough to find the relationships that I need to be able to eventually be myself, you know, and to, yeah. to, uh, stop caring all of this, you know? Um, so yeah, it, how much it, I did... definitely knew I was soft. Yeah. Yeah. How, how much, how much did, cause you're documenting sort of your first inner initial encounters with, with music on this record. Um, mm-hmm. How much? How much later did you start bands? Uh, did you start playing music, kind of in 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 that in that form? Um, for me, um, you know, I played drums in church primarily, like seventh grade. Well, more like eighth grade, ninth grade, and then I played drums in marching band in ninth grade, um, and then I was starting to pick up guitar a little bit, like this youth pastor would show me a C chord on, you know, cause he's a song leader at church. And so I would start to pick up guitar and then I got like a, we had like a song book that had like a couple of Beatles tunes in it with the chords, like all you need is love. And it was just like cowboy chords, but they used every single cowboy chord and, <laughs> you know, in that song. And it's so, um, so I started yeah. like unpacking that and then, in 10th grade, I moved to Seattle and met Damien, like on the first day that I was at school and we started playing in a band that day. So that was the first time I played in a band. Um, and then later that year I started writing songs myself, um, but they were like very quiet, very delicate, very sappy, um, tunes. So it wasn't really like band um, material. And then I think by the time I was a senior, I was playing with a a bass player and a drummer, you know, trying to make some kind of band. Um, and then Pedro started as a four track project, like in 95, like the year after I graduated high school. So it was mostly drumming in bands and in Angerado's band. And that was, for me, that was where I fell in love with, you know, like weekly practice, band practice was just the best. Um, yeah. Shows kind of with, could be as good as that sometimes, but usually weekly band practice was just like, just the best. Yeah. That was, was that first group called The Guilty? It was, yeah, that that group, uh, there was a series of bands, I guess, that was me and Gerardo with... Uh, various people and it was the guilty and then Linus and then Coolidge was the sort of uh, the arc of that. And um, yeah, Gerardo and I, and like three or four other people throughout the. So what was the, what was the stuff that made you first want to start playing, you know, rock music? I mean, you, you talk about finding a Beatles, a Beatles book um, mm-hmm. and, and also about how previously you kind of weren't, allowed to listen to you know quote unquote secular music what was the what was the rock and roll stuff that kind of made you you know or punk rock or what was it that sort of made you want to start doing it yourself in a in a kind of more uh 
in a in a group setting and you know in a louder louder situation I, th- I think i had wanted that for a while but just didn't wasn't wasn't in the kind of places where there was a, a strong culture of that or, or a availability of that the in 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 paradise where i lived in ninth grade in paradise california um there was like this pr- person who called up the church that my dad worked at that was like hey i'm a christian thrash metal bass player or guitar player guitar player and i'm looking for a drummer do you know of anybody and i think this person was just calling all the churches in like the greater chico marysville <laughs> kind of like yeah. uh, uh, area and um and my dad was like well my son plays drums and so and i was actually listening so like being only allowed to listen to christian records that meant like the christian bookstore was where you bought records and there was like a a a shelf of tapes and eventually CDs that you had to kind of choose from. And some of them, you know, there was a pretty big catalog of CCM and, but I was always gravitating towards something more, hopefully like I was trying to find something more real. And so at that point I was listening to, not that it was more real, but I was listening to like Christian thrash metal, just trying to find, just like working my way through what was there to see what connects and yeah. um, and I still like thrash metal. The like it's as a song person, like it's the most accessible version, or was the most accessible version of like um, intense metal or whatever for me. Um, and I like the vocal style a lot. And so I I played with this one guy for a little bit, but it wasn't going to go anywhere. Sure, um, there wasn't shows to play. Um, but I also, at that point, I saw this band Deliverance play. Uh, that was like the first kind of concert that I went to that had moshing and that kind of thing in like 90, 1990, I guess. And so that was my, I, I understood about that. And then I was I was also obsessed with the Beatles starting in eighth grade, but then I had to put them away. Like I wasn't allowed to listen to them Um so the Beatles was probably the thing that stoked all that the most. Um, but then once I got to Seattle, just the opportunity to do it, I was just like, yeah, I, you know, he said, do you want to come over and play today? And I called my dad and was like, can I go over to this dude's house and this Christian dude's house? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was important. Um, but as soon as I got there, for some reason, I just, I asked to be let go of that. To, to, for them to let go of that sec that secular music band, you know, so I started listening to Fugazi, and U two and The Cure and um, yeah, and then everything kind of, I mean, that was just like a like yeah, jumping into the ocean, you know, it was like it didn't stop, and and Fugazi proved to be like a pretty huge. Uh, influence because as a drummer like Brendan Canty's drumming is um, just compositionally and I I don't know it it's it was such a huge influence I I knew his playing better than just about any musical expression I could I can think of yeah I mean and when you think about Fugazi you think about Obviously, the intensity of the music, you know, but also the, the, especially as somebody like, you know, kind of 
when you're interested in punk rock or whatever, you're interested in punk, you know, music. Fugazi sort of like snuck in all of these other elements that you wouldn't have necessarily recognized as like a jazz influence or you know or or, yeah. or or maybe you would recognize them but i mean for me a lot of it was just like you'd hear like a dub element on a on a fugazi record and and it was just like this is so much more nuanced and layered and and oh yeah and and sort of sp- that uh the the creative foothold that the band had was so vast you know and it's like even if you don't necessarily i certainly when i first started hearing that stuff didn't necessarily know how to piece all of the individual elements but i knew they were there you know because you experience Mm -hmm. them you know so for me it sounds like they were i mean i know they're uh, just fugazi was a huge influence on, on you you know and uh and i i pick up on some of that 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 you know sort of like the the rhythmic push and pull and all that stuff that just doesn't exist in lots of punk music you know it's true and like um i mean i still think like when you look at like a band like radiohead is like a really interesting example of a band who clearly evolved and you can see it it's like it's the it's the headline but i think if you look and it's true i Absolutely. And, but I think if you look at Fugazi, there's just as much of an evolution, yeah. but it's subtler because it's the same tools. It's two guitars, bass, and drums. Obviously, they did start using some effects um, later, but, and thematically, I mean, they, there was like, um, I don't know, seeing the, like, so as an ADHD kid and like, I, and somebody who latched onto the Beatles, like, I, I needed variety and hooks that were memorable or else I couldn't yeah. connect with tunes, you know? Like I just, right. there would be records and that was an issue with some like like thrash metal where it was just like, I can't, I, I, there isn't a hook that can remind me like, which song is this? Like it takes me a while to remember kind of, but like Fugazi for some reason, like all their songs sounded totally different and each record, the evolution it just was amazing to study because well, and like you said, there was all these elements, but it wasn't pastiche. It was this right completely like a, 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 a digested and like, um, I mean, it was a band. It was a band. It was like Joe was doing, I, I, it, there was just so much life and vibrancy to it. But for yeah. me as like a Christian kid, I was raised to believe that, that, um, music was a vehicle for a message. And so Fugazi was a really good fit for me because while I don't believe they thought that in any, in any way, their, their music was loaded with these lyrical messages that were ethical and, um, political and, and I needed that in music that I was really going to connect with and feel meaningful, I needed some element of that because of the, because of the misguided way that I connected with music um, because of growing up in, you know, evangelical Christian culture. Um, And so, and I look back now and like suggestion and reclamation and um all these tunes like fugazi radicalized me yeah (laughs) like i i prayed 
I understand, I understood objectifying women through the lens of the song's suggestion for the yeah. first time, and then began to pray that I would not objectify women after that, you know, like, right. I, they changed, they like left room in my mind for, uh, or they made room in my mind for thinking about things differently. And there was an ethical and moral and political core of that music that was truer in a way than any of the sort of messaging that I was getting from any of the, the Christian music I was listening to, you know, and then differently than the Beatles, the Beatles are, it's just, it's really pop music lyrically. Like it's, it's, there isn't any of that, you know, it, well, John sort of started to do that a little bit, but sure. And George, obviously. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's in there too, but I mean, yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, but, but also the, the idea that music should be about something is like a real, like, you know, that's a thing that, that, I mean, that of course, that drew me to Pedro's music was, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I needed a similar thing, right? Like I was never, my, my family, although I grew up in a very, very religious household, I was allowed to listen to kind of like, for the most part, kind of whatever. Uh, there started to be some like raised eyebrows when like Metallica was in the mix or whatever else, you know, there were yeah. certainly things where it was like, that is not allowed, you know, but for the most part, I could kind of push it as far as I, as I could, you know? Yeah. But I, so, so I almost was drawn into like Christian music in part, I guess it's just, it was always important for me. I understood that music was the most important thing for me. Even if I did, I, I say I understood that. I didn't know that yet, but it was, it was obvious. You could sense it. Yeah, I could yeah. sense it, you know? So it was like, well, it has, so, so if music's the most important thing, then it can't just like music is not, I need music to be a vehicle for ethics and morality and and ideas that i feel like i have to base my life around you know so so even though it wasn't strictly christian music that i found that in you know that was a, an important part of yeah. the of the puzzle for me pedro represented something you use the term looking for like you know realness in terms of what mm -hmm. uh what you were listening to and and that you s sought that out in the Christian bookstore, you know, I, I was looking for that too, without realizing that's what you want. You know, you just, it needs to, it needs to have a quality that speaks to, you know, real life versus whatever kind of like imagined scenario so much, you know, certainly so much Christian music can sort of, uh, you know, this idealized form that doesn't truly exist, you know? So, so Pedro, Damien's records, you know, Starflyer 59, not lyrically. Somehow they spoke to me musically, you oh, know, yeah. differently, you know, but it, but it felt that same sense of like realness, of, of creative intensity. Um, yeah. But Pedro was the thing for me. So, so it's really interesting to hear you say that, you know, you were looking for that music because that's what you, of course, ended up imbuing your music with so much, uh, so many of these ideas and explorations of like pretty pretty thorny concepts you know like i remember being like very what would be the what, what was the term that that you used to, you'd hear a lot in church convicted you know uh, uh -huh, convicted <laughs> i would be like yeah. I, I i remember feeling very intensely convicted by a lot of pedro music in terms of this yeah. way of being like i have to think deeper i have to think deeper about being a uh being a hypocrite you know or i have to mm -hmm. think deep i have to think deeper about like 
you know, the song Big Trucks, you know, like I can't, mm-hmm. I can't, <laughs> I can't cruise around in my own little moral self-righteousness, you know, while having no, no fucking idea what the, an actual adult has to think about or whatever, you know what I mean? That right, might make right. them less righteous or cool, you know? So, um, so all of that stuff. And then as you, you know, so, so I guess really, you know, the, the thing about that honesty and that sort of like, this music has to be about something. Did you initially view Pedro as a, as a sort of vehicle for a message? Yeah. Um, you know, the whole EP is sort of like the gospel message, like in five songs or in whatever, like it's, yeah. It's like uh, the Roman road or whatever. It, it sort of embodied in that. And my thought was that that was a way to, to <clears throat> that was like a model that I could use as like a Christian person who needed to, to you know, um, like for me, that was an evolution from like having your faith encapsulated in each song in a way that, people wouldn't miss it. If they only hear one song, they're going to get it, you know, but mm-hmm. I sort of like took what felt like for me at the time, a risk to sort of spread it out over some songs. So you hear nothing on its own, the song, nothing. And you're like, this is a song about, you know, pro moral relativism. And then you hear this song about taking drugs and like, but eventually it leads to, you know, salvation for this character. Um, and then I did that and I put that out and I thought, okay, now I'm going to make a record and I, th- I just, um, I knew it wouldn't work again. And it felt false yeah. to me, you know? Um, and I was really struggling, like in between those two releases, I was reading as much sort of Christian literature as I could about making art uh, from a Christian perspective and looking for the space to make art for its own sake would have been how I was thinking of it at the time. Like, why do I have to find creative ways of continuing to sort of like repackage this message over and over again? Why can't I just write what is coming from me? Yeah. And that's what I, that's what friend was for me was just sort of shaking off that mandate to, to do that. And just to write what was, what was up you know, for me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so I found the permission to do that and then made friend from that. And so, but yeah, the starting point of Pedro was definitely like, find a way to put this message into music in a way that doesn't suck or that feels authentic or is authentic. But then again, you know, it's always a sales pitch. I mean, it's just always a sales pitch. And I, I think later, I don't know when I saw the movie, the big kahuna, but it was like a really big, like wake up call for me. You know, um, I don't, it's, um, the, uh, starring, uh, disgraced, uh, Kevin Spacey and, uh, Oh yeah. I forget who else, Peter Facinelli and, Forget who the, it might be Danny De, it's not Danny DeVito it's somebody else I don't know but it was about they were at the sales convention and this one guy was a Christian and he had an in to the guy who was the big account that they were all trying to get but instead of talking to him about industrial lubricants he talked to him about Jesus and the other guys there was just this big kind of right. dialogue about sales and 
And he's like, I'm not as, I'm not trying to sell him on, on lubricants. And they're like, no, you're trying to sell him on Jesus. Like, right. You know, it's... <laughs> and so I, I like, I began to understand like even lifestyle evangelism or any intention to like sway somebody at all right. was like false and like uh, was sales and bait and switch or whatever. And so, but by friend, I had given, I had gotten permission for myself to just make what came out and um and that was huge for me it was a really important um yeah. yeah well i mean and it's obvious that it continued on as you know you found yourself in the position of of writing about you know abandoning or or you know f- you know yeah exiting a lot of the things that you that you have had previously sort of built your records around um mm-hmm you know, and on this record, I know, you know, one of the things was a direct quote from the from the bio is you said that you wanted to paint a picture of how your family and parents and everyone you love uh, got copped it, got, got, well, you want to paint with the, with the eventual story, how religion and the authoritarian and nationalistic elements of, of the religion you were raised in, how those things sort of came to dominate the cultural you know sort of sphere and, and and we don't have to probably break the news to anybody listening to this podcast that that's something that has happened increasingly yeah. <laughs> over the over the decades since you know um but but on Havasu specifically it, it does feel like there's this um I, I I'm sorry I, I feel like I'm I'm wandering with this question but I think what I'm no what please I, I think what I want to ask is you know has going back and sort of like embodying these 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 long long gone years you know um has it humanized the people who you grew up around for you in in ways that are surprising to you because it's 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 very easy and i'm probably like my own stuff is probably showing here to the to the listener you know but it's very easy to sort of um to either suggest Everybody who I disagree with now, you know, they got lost along the way or maybe they were wrong all along and I I just didn't know the difference, you know, when the truth is probably it's like some mix of all of that that we can never truly wrap our heads around, you know, but I wonder, you know, how how looking back on this moment, this these specific moments in your life has has shaped or changed or reframed the, your broader relationship to the cultural sort of um stew of of Christianity as we talk about it now in terms of all of these nationalistic and kind of truly bewildering and upsetting uh yeah. instances of of the of, of this faith being used to to demonize and 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 bludgeon others you know yeah i mean I, yes, it has, and but it, it's happened through the lens of, um, you know, the question is, I guess, like how, how do certain people get fall into that and get co opted by that and don't have like a something that clicks and is like, oh, this isn't how it should be like, I'm going to go a different way. And, and why do some people not get pulled into that or, or get pulled into that less? 
and is it is it less you know like um and so that's for me like i'm looking back and thinking like you're masking your feelings constantly through this time what is that about and what are the consequences of that for yourself in terms of what you get co-opted into yeah you know and so if i'm feeling like i was holding some kind of line you know internally but not saying anything about it thinking that i somehow wasn't a party to it or going along with it or even if i did verb like just like what what was I swept into and what are the ramifications of that? Like, it's all good and well to have like a moral core that you stick to. But if you're masking your experiences and your feelings all the time, that's codependency. And you can't actually maintain a moral position when you're, you know, living in like a super codependent way. So I'm looking back on myself and like I can see the tension of it because if you're trying to hold a line, but you're also codependent on a bunch of people who are not doing that, and you're trying to make peace there, that's what all of that's what all I mean, that's what everybody is doing on some level with all of these associations. Because if you love your mom, then you know, dot dot dot, like you're just gonna try to protect her feelings about certain things or and those patterns, like, so for me, it's trying to understand and have grace with myself through this, this period and like seeing this kid, for me, like the process of this record was like, I just, that kid needed some guidance, some um, perspective, some comfort, some encouragement, some care that he didn't get, that I didn't get. And so I was attempting with Havasu to go and see that kid and understand that kid and then subsequently provide, and through that sort of provide that kind of parenting or comfort or whatever that I really needed. And in that process, also just seeing the roots of the codependency that I continued to, to live through you know with and so for me it's sort of i i need to show that so that i can show how the other people that i love that that it's that same process it's that same right. you know it's just like capitalism or any other exploitative dynamic it's just like oh there's a scarcity here and we're going to increase that scarcity and then blame the scarcity haver for that scarcity and then create a series of expectations and shame responses in that (laughs) scarcity haver you know it's just this cycle that we're all trying to break out of and so for me, there's no way to to get to the the wider sort of like um, religious political chicanery and you know basically like sometimes when I look at it, I was like, oh, I was raised to be a Nazi youth. Like we pledged allegiance to the flag every day. We pledged allegiance to the Christian flag every day. We pledge allegiance to the Bible every day. Like if if this devolves into the fascist authoritarian sort of state that we all see looming on the horizon or like directly on top of us now. I was raised to be a foot soldier in that, you know? Right. Um, That's how I was, that's how I I was educated. Um, And 
that's a horrifying thing to sort of zoom out and see. And it, it means my parents are this or my grandparents are this and, and none of it, but it's just all normal, loving, caring people who just make in groups and out groups and treat them differently. And there's just this whole sort of very mundane, normal process by which we all can be swept into being, you know, we're pawns and protectors of these oppressive uh, systems, you know? And so to do that, I needed to, to, to show it in myself and how it developed that capacity in me to not just say how I'm feeling and, be okay with if everybody is mad about it or you know or, or right or, um and then why that was hard to do why in a home in like a nuclear family who is religious why it's very hard to do that and to maintain and so just showing that hopefully i can show the same process happened to my mom and dad and happened to my grandma and grandpa and so it's like this um you know kind of works like original sin <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it but but it also is like one of those things where it's like you know you you um you can't recognize anything in others until you recognize you know inside and and yeah. and and it's also really hard to recognize inside because inside is vast you know and there's a lot of there's a lot um there's a lot always happening and and yeah. and so much of it seems to be happening without our knowledge it doesn't require we we j made the joke earlier about being pulled along you know by the sequen sequencer of of biology yeah. you know you we're pulled along by all these other sequencers too that that we're exactly. not we're not aware that of how of how it's happening but you know the thing to to sound it almost sounds pollyanna ish to be like but in art we're allowed to create this space where like um that those processes can be uh short circuited or broken down or or potentially you know uh reconfigured you know, in in art, we yeah. are we are allowed a space that can do that, and I do think that like that's that's why you know art that that truly tries to grapple with existence, you know, ends up being a tool that is because we're not afforded the opportunities to do that in everyday life all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's 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 yeah. there's there's little context where we can have those conversations with say our parents or, or or people and 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 then when you know so so art to me is this is this space where all of that can be sort of like unpacked is a is a little bit of a cheesy word because it's not just mm -hmm. unpacking it's 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 rearranging it's it's uh it's 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 you know uh it's rewriting sometimes it, it is it's it's like impressionistic representations of things that are impressionistic themselves you know and and right these ephemeral you know things and you know and as you know is writing about the heartbreak of like a 12 year old kid like what is the like it seems foolish or, or something you know but then in the context of doing that you actually can get at some things that are you know 
that are maybe real or I don't know. No, yeah, you no, you can and you do. And it's funny because I think about how, you know, I it doesn't happen very often or all the time when I'm listening to music, but it does happen when I'm listening to your music that I end up f- putting myself in your shoes pretty pretty heavily, you know. I really That's try rad. I really That's try rad. to get in there. And it's not super hard uh, in a lot of ways, you know, because of just like, uh, you know, superficial or surface level similarities, you know. But regardless, regardless, um, I thought like, you know, could I write a song about my heart being broken when I was 12, you know, and I just immediately faced my own inner cynic or uh, or the person who I'm afraid of who who tells me like, no, that's a cheesy thing to do. That's stupid. Exactly. That's that's silly. <laughs> but 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 listening to it, I didn't feel that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hearing you do yeah. it, I didn't feel that way. And and I think what I recognized listening to that to this record, uh, you know, a handful of times was like, well, when Dave's writing about a 12-year-old's heart being broken, Dave is is at once as far removed from that kid as I am in some ways, you know what I mean? Cause, mm-hmm. cause of all the life you've lived since then. But then also a 12 year old's heart being broken is a person whose heart has been broken. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no, there is no extra qualifier needed for that because yeah. it, it's, it's, it's the, it, the fundamental feeling is not different in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? No. Yeah. Then when it happens now, and, I mean, you know, your heart's broken yeah. at, at 22 and it's like everybody would go like, well, yeah, when your heart's broken at 22, you that that those that really hurts. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it hurts the same way, just more, you know, and yeah. and and anyway, so so I feel like the the, you know, at the risk of sounding like goofy, you know, there's like a I'm glad you resisted that part of yourself that would maybe try to talk you out of that you know, and say yeah. like, well, maybe I should write about a politician murdering his mistress again. You know what I mean? Or like, <laughs> something that another murder suicide. <laughs> yeah, record. Maybe, maybe I'll do. Maybe the, maybe somebody gets murdered on the record. How's that? You know. <laughs> well, it's funny because you know that's the that's the tool set of a of a of a person who isn't able to to sort of walk in the canyons of just heartbreak like you know like the intensity of that feeling is so much yeah that as a younger writer like all i could do is write about murder or whatever you know (laughs) i mean and there were other things that were happening like you know winners and control are both you know records that sort of cover similar territory of what i'm hoping to sort of get to but i'm trying to do it from a place of reality rather than these kind of cartoons mm-hmm. about, uh, uh, about, you know, the, and whatever it's not that fiction or nonfiction is the, is the, the line, but that these sort of like, uh, tropey, like archetypal, um, things and try to get to it from like the real texture of sure the feelings of like a, a kid. And so it, it, it was, it did take a lot to, I mean, I still am scared to death of, you know, my, I, it just, there was, um, I'm scared to death of hurting the people's feelings who I've cared about the most in, in my life. Of course. And um, 
that's a that was one of the things I realized when I had to take a break from the record is I was like, I'm, I'm incapable of doing that at this point. I'm incapable of expressing what's true for me because of what it means for the people, um, who were there and who are in my life now. And like, um, and so that's it. So in that sense, it's easier to write about fictional politicians murdering people or whatever. Um, and, and it was a big, like, even I, like I just listened to the record before this call to just sort of there's this process of getting comfortable with it that's still happening. Of course, and the more that I do, the more that I can connect with that. There's that part of me that I'm tr- I'm trying to to be closer with and 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 abandon less often. Yeah, and there's a sense that we made this thing together, and then now I'm embarrassed of it. And I'm slowly kind of coming back around to myself and being like, you know, thanks for pushing me through this um, process, however fraught and sort of like imperfect it was and is um, because there's a closeness that I get that is, you know, I talk about on Phoenix and Quietest Friend and kind of hint at on this record, but that's also what this is about, this whole uh, process is just building trust with my subconscious so that we can live together in- closely, you know? Yeah, because it's really crucial to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah. es- especially if we have to navigate a world that is, you know, by all accounts going to look vastly different than the one that we grew up in, you know? Yeah, really, um, really hard on all of our nervous systems, you know? it's Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the nervousness system doesn't need your permission to feel or react to the no. <laughs> to the stresses, you know. And and that's yeah. the part where you, I talked about how difficult it is to know to know yourself, you know. And that's part of what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, where am I carrying this shit that I didn't realize existed, you know? And what is yeah. it causing to happen? You know, what is it causing to to occur? Um. Well, and just even to face that, like, for me, just facing that kid in the car, you know, traveling to Havasu and what I, you know, yeah, that was a, that was a major um, development in my self-knowledge and seeing myself and just accepting, you know, what was happening and trying to be accountable to myself for that and figure out, okay, what's the process by which I stop masking my feelings yeah yeah well dave we don't have much more time uh allotted for the show but i do want to before we go i want to ask you really quick you covered uh walls by tom petty and i know that yeah. that that listening to a tom petty audiobook was really helpful for you while you were making this record is that right yeah this one and phoenix um and i traveled to havasu while i was on the phoenix writing trip to sort of do some like uh you know advance yeah uh, sort of work on Havasu or just start to 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 get those wheels turning yeah and the yeah that Tom Petty book um, Petty by Warren Zanes um yeah really struck me have is Tom, you know when we talk about like the music that you would have been hearing and 1989 or whatever or around then you know late 80s i i always think of i mean i feel like 
Tom Petty's death of all the of all the sort of like rock icons to have passed away over the last decade, you know, um, something about Tom Petty's death has hit me in a strange way that has lingered much longer than than the others. You know, if I see a picture of Tom Petty, I still feel like a pretty intense. Uh, an intense sense of, of loss and sadness. And when I was thinking about it for the purposes of this chat, you know, I found myself thinking about how the songs of Tom Petty, you just, they were there, they were scaffolding. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you, th- I just, mm-hmm. I heard Tom Petty songs constantly on the radio, you know, uh, uh, and, and I think they're like kind of embedded in my DNA in ways that I didn't even realize. You know what I mean? Yeah. What is it about about Petty that that makes up? Oh, you still there? Okay. You're cool. Good. Yeah. Yeah. What is it about Petty that makes him such a uh, such a, a figure of of interest for you? Well, so because I wasn't allowed to listen to any of that, I was pretty unaware of uh, Tom Petty's music before. I mean, I. I recognized him and like, I think last dance with Mary Jane, when that came out, like, I remember being like, Whoa, Holy fuck. You know, that music video, that music video scared me really when I was a kid, I was like, yeah, I remember seeing that and being like, Oh boy. It was really (laughs) edgy for me in a, in a way. And, but also like very alluring for a lot of reasons. And yeah. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until Wildflowers that I really, like, that was the first record that I had in my possession. It was at my friend's house, and I just kept on playing it. And those songs were the first Tom Petty songs that, like, they were about emotions in a way that, now looking back, was new for him or or was a shade or two different than the way that he would write about emotions previously. And for me, that was like a very good entry point because that's, I I was looking for ways to f- to feel my emotions um, and to feel different ones than TV and movies, you know, allowed me to, uh, and was always looking for more things like that to just feel all of the things. And Tom Petty's Wildflowers just, it just got in there deep, you know, and then from there yeah. I started to, to, to explore back. Um, and so it, yeah. And, and understanding too, like now I, I you know, I listen to wildflowers and I think like, because he's, these songs are, have an emotional kind of literacy to them that is, is, is unique and, and, um, uh, like on a level that I you don't find all over the place. I I was surprised listening yeah. to the doc, the 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 biography that that you know to re- realize like oh these were these were dudes white dudes who grew up in like the fifties. They're not talking about their feelings on tour or band practice. Like this is the most <laughs> right. Tom is expressing his feelings is on this record. And as like a feeler who is a talker and trying to bridge the gap between what I'm making and what I'm saying in my life, like I kind of assumed that he was literate in his 
feelings verbally more like more like the records and to listen to that right that biography and realize like oh no like this was something that was being pulled out of him through this process and maybe when watching that documentary now on youtube about um the wildflowers records like i can see how that is there's such this this beauty and him dealing with his feelings was was very difficult for him and caused like a lot of problems later even with like some drug abuse and things that were really life-threatening and so it was really good to to see the whole context of that and to realize that this master of putting feelings into music was he himself struggling to know how to do that in in real life and i don't know i just i just connect with him on a lot of on a lot of levels like that and just the the pressure to make something that like that uh communicates uh, yeah and and energetically like holds interest you know in, in a way so that people can hear what you're doing and saying like he was so the best at that like yeah every time he put something out everybody turned and was like <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> you know yeah no ki- no kidding like it's, it's that same thing you know like i think about I, I just just roll off the greatest hits you know you don't know how it feels one of the other one of the songs <laughs> where it's like you hear that and you're just like I know exactly how that feels actually. You know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, and it's and it yeah. yeah, I mean what a what an amazing or, or even something where it's like a little bit more like a story song, you know, like into the great wide open or whatever, you know. Oh yeah, southern accents or like Right. I'm not from the south. I cry when I hear that. Like I get yeah. it, it transcends Yeah. the the specific culture that he's talking about. It's just like where you're from and the texture of it and um you know, yeah, it there was a sensitivity that he had and also a drive that in tandem that um, made some really special ways for people to connect with their own stories and their own feelings. And Yeah, um, yeah. And you know what really strikes me about that Wildflowers uh, like reissue that they did a couple of years ago was listening to the demos and you realize how often it's just i mean like a like a just a strummer like barely anything you know and the lyrics and like every single demo he's like going about the same tempo very little variation in terms of like the 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 four four kind of structure or whatever and yet and yet even on those little demos you hear the depth of the feeling even if the music later comes to to add those elements in, in terms of, you know, the layering and, and the great, mm-hmm. you know, sort of sonic uh, uh, little uh, adornments and all that stuff. But yeah, like what a, yeah, what a, what a record, what a, what a songwriter, you know? And also I feel like we can't help, but f- I can't help, but feel like his passing in a similar way to like Bowie's passing or Lou Reed's passing, you know, or Prince for that matter you mm-hmm. just can't get over the sense i can't get over the sense that like that's the end of an age occurring too yeah. you know what i mean and that's a big part of it for me it is um the thing i think about with the wildflowers record and the documentary and like this book is like the song and the demos like the song wildflowers and the book there's a discussion of his therapist asking who the song is who the you is in the song yeah 
you belong among the wildflowers. You belong in a, in a with your love on your arm, somewhere you feel free. Like yes. all these, somewhere you feel uh, free. Yeah, yeah. And his therapist, he was like, I don't know. And his therapist is like, I think I know. Um, and I think it's you. I think you're writing to yourself. And in the book, it indicates that Tom was like, yeah, I, I think that's right. And then when you watch the documentary of the making of Wildflowers, you learn that he hit record on his recorder and he started playing that song. And the first time he played it, it was complete. He just he yeah. just played and sang. And this, when this, he hit stop and listened back, and that's how that song goes. And so it's this gift from his subconscious in a way that that those like all in one things really kind of are and so i love how unguarded it is because it just came out there was no editing there was no thought it was just a flow and then for a song that emerged that way to be this ultimate expression of self-love this almost scandalous expression of self-love that he probably wouldn't have kept that way if he knew who it was to yeah um it's really it's really been moving to me to and like why I kind of allowed myself more space on this record to be cheesy or to be um, the way that that song is cheesy if you think about it like I'm singing the song to myself and it like it's just a degree of self-love that I, I don't I, I it's really moving and and inspiring to me to try to have that you know toward my myself and um yeah yeah he it he um yeah it's really important it was really an important uh, set of understandings for me yeah that's beautiful i think i think we should say you know no no cringe in 2022 we're not gonna cringe anymore (laughs) we're not cringing we're not afraid we're not afraid of we're not afraid of of telling ourselves that we belong belong among the wildflowers because i don't know yeah. whatever why, why not right like uh if we can let go of any of that the better i think the better will be you know um well and and what an amazing thing like anybody who knows that about that song can like s- turn that song on and try to hear that from themselves to themselves and that is yeah that is gonna be an emotional process for most people to or scandalous feeling or like you know like how could i say this to myself it's too much you know think about how many times somebody has been driving down the highway and heard that and just you know what i mean who who knows and how many how many how how many how many crying sessions has that song you know uh inspired for people what an amazing thing you know what what a like Mm -hmm. what a mind-blowing thing to be able to to have that exist in the world you know this perfectly internal thing be made external for anybody you know what a it's mind-blowing <laughs> well dude yeah. dave it's been it's been such a pleasure talking with you about this record and and getting into stuff and and just chatting in general it's always it's always great thanks so much for for taking the time i really appreciate it i'll, I'll always say yes to <laughs> interview like talking to you uh, for an interview the 15 years of yeah you were one of the first people who i was like i recognized like oh yeah you know when nathan or whoever would be like jason wants to talk to him like yeah i remember (laughs) talking to jason it was awesome so thanks for doing this we did an interview the uh the day of the uh 
2016 uh we did an, an interview election day 2016 dave so it's f- yeah. f- fucking scarred into my memory <laughs> <sighs> but uh yeah. you know we thought things were going to turn out a little different that night i think but uh <laughs> but what do we know <laughs> all right well yeah. dave thanks so much i appreciate it yeah me too jason thank you <laughs>